This week was a brilliant one for Irish film. Kerry Condon in The Banshees of Inisherin. Paul Mescal in After Sun. And The Quiet Girl, Ireland. 14 nominations at this year's Academy Awards is the best ever Irish Hall. Part of that success belongs to Colin Barade, director of Irish language film on Colleen Kuhn, The Quiet Girl, which was nominated for Best International Feature. Just as like an Irish speaker and an Irish person and someone who loves Irish film and, and film in general, um, just a, a beautiful thing to be part of, you know. But when a film has an Oscar nomination in the bag, it's not time to sit back and wait to see if it wins. It's just the start of an intense campaign to win support from the thousands of Academy members who are eligible to vote. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, Ireland's Oscar joy and how to turn a nomination into a win. Colin Braid, can I ask you, when the film wrapped in 2020, when you left the set, could you even have thought the Oscars could ever be on the horizon? Um, no, I mean, we weren't, we weren't thinking that way, you know. Um, you're just so, at that point, you're just so exhausted, you know, having made, made a film, you know, you're, and you're actually still in that world. You're kind of, you kind of step into the, the story in many ways when you're making a film and, um, so you're not really thinking that far ahead. You're still sort of preoccupied with with the thing itself. But like having said that, I've always believed that there was a possibility for an Irish language film to get nominated at the Oscars, precisely because there's always been a category for films not in the English language. And I do, I'm pretty sure I gave an interview, possibly RTE, like about 10 years ago, talking specifically about that and how I believed you could get an Irish language film nominated for an Oscar. Um, so like I was uh, part in the back of my brain, I, I was always aware that we would at the very least be eligible for that category, um, at the Academy Awards. But, you know, you don't, you never sort of, especially at that point, having just sort of finished filming, you, you would never kind of jump to that conclusion straight away that, oh, that what we've done here is, is good enough for, to, to make, make it that far. But, you know, we did have a special feeling making the film, um, and watching the rushes and just the kind of atmosphere on set was was so positive and um and just kind of magical there was something really magical about that period in our lives and and obviously what Catherine Clinch had delivered in in her central performance was really incredible um and you could feel that on set and you could you could feel that watching the rushes and and then Kate McCullough's you know stunning cinematography so there were a lot of reasons to be kind of hopeful about the film um but it's still a long road from that point to to actually getting it to stand on its own two feet and and say something to an audience that has meaning and that that will travel i suppose the other thing we're mentioning is is possibly, you know, this film is an adaptation of uh, of Foster by Claire Keegan, and that that in itself has been translated into many different languages, and has, to my mind, uh, an utterly universal appeal. So we, we we always knew that 
the sort of source material that we were working with also had the potential to to sort of cross over in a way. If we can even capture like eighty percent of what Claire has has created in Foster and and translate that to screen, you know that we we would potentially have something quite powerful on our hands. What happens next, just in terms of trying to to move the the, the film on, or does that really matter to you? I mean, yeah. Like, does it matter to you to the the does the win matter? Is this enough? Like we always we always thought of the long list, which is what we were on. Or well, the academy calls it the short list, but we'd, we'd more traditionally call that a long list, I guess. Um, we kind of thought of that as like the nomination, you know. And we always thought, oh, if we get nominated, that would just be the most incredible thing. And so for us, a, a nomination is a win. And even like in in industry terms, a, a nomination is a win. It's you know you see it on all the promotional material for films that get nominated for Oscars. It's always there, and it's 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 a huge achievement. So yeah, whatever happens from here is you know if if the film was to to win the actual Oscar would be just indescribable in terms of how monumental that would be. Um, but we are like we're in we're kind of up against some real you know very well funded and very well liked uh, films, you know, there's like a Netflix film in there, there's a, an Amazon film in there, so like they've they've got a, a, a sort of a war chest that we can never compete with um, so it is kind of David versus Goliath in, in many ways, uh, but you know we'll certainly give it a, give it our best shot, we're not uh, we've always believed in this little film, like it is this tiny film in so many ways, and a very quiet film um, so we're you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. And in terms of war chest, what is is it? What's going to happen between now and March twelfth for you and the film? What happens in terms of the campaign? A lot of it is spending time in LA. Um, so there'll be more screenings for Academy members. Uh, there are kind of s- specific events um, for, say, the directors, the five directors of the international, uh, the nominated films in the international category. Um, there's the, the famous nominees luncheon where all the nominees, uh, for all the various, uh, awards are all gathered together for a big lunch, which is apparently a really magical experience. Cause you know, you're sitting with everyone like Spielberg and whoever, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the, quite the experience apparently. Um, and there'd be a great deal of press as well. Like see our film is actually being released in us, uh, cinemas on the 24th of February. So we'll also have a huge kind of press tour, which is in a sense part of the Academy campaign as well. And that, that sort of plays to our advantage in a sense in that all of the other films have already been released or are on a streamer already, whereas ours is sort of announcing itself in a way in the marketplace there as well. So kind of the timing of that is, is, is quite nice, you know. Have you got your tux? Uh, no. Not Who yes. will you be wearing on the red carpet? Well, this is the big question. I don't know. It's it's more of a pertinent question, perhaps, for Cleona Nicruli, my wife, who's the producer. Um, I think the dress will be more uh, under more scrutiny than the the tux. But um, yeah, I'm. I, I don't know. I need to figure all that out. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll figure that out. <laughs> So, Colin, presumably now you'll, apart from taking meetings in LA, you're planning your your next project. What are you going to be working on next? It's hard to say exactly what will be next. I mean, there are a few things that we've gotten development funding for other feature film ideas. So, I would like my next film to be, you know, a film that's set in Ireland. Uh, I mean, this one, the next one I'm developing is actually an English language film, but it's it's a very much an Irish film. 
so I would I would very much like to make another another film yeah here I'll talk to Donald Clark Irish Times chief film correspondent about Ireland's Oscar success and how to turn a nomination into a win after this short break Welcome back. And to find out more about Ireland's Oscar Joy and our chances of winning a few statuettes this year, I talked to Chief Film Correspondent of the Irish Times, Donald Clark. So Donald, you're at the end of a very, very busy week, obviously. And if you were in here maybe this time last year, we'd be talking about, oh, you know, the Oscars in general and awards and American Act. But of course, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to, <laughs> well, we're, to be fair, we would be talking about Belfast last year. Oh, which, yes. Um, okay. Which scored seven nominations and equaled the record for most nominations for an Irish film until yesterday. <laughs> until. So we're going to put the green jersey on or maybe the, you know, the, the O'Neill's shorts, ga shorts, nod to Paul Meskell. And uh, we'll just talk about what happened, what was in the news this week in terms of the Irish nominations. So tell me. Well, it is the most uh, successful nominations we've had at the Oscars. I mean, I think the last time I was in here, actually, on the podcast talking about the Oscar nominations, I think was a good six, seven years ago in 2016, um, which was the year that uh, Room from Lenny Abrahamson and John Crowley's Brooklyn were nominated in multiple categories. Although, in fact, the only one I think actually, the only Irish person that actually won amongst all that batch was in short film was Ben Cleary, who won in the end. I think then we thought, we'll never do that well again. I mean, that was quite an extraordinary result to have two films of Best Picture, for example, that were um, uh, Irish productions. But we had done better. We've come up with a number of 14 nominations for Irish films and Irish people. Nine nominations for The Banshees of Inish Erin, uh, Martin McDonough's films, Don and Colin Farrell, um, uh, and Brendan Gleeson. Paul Mescal has been kind of touted for a while for After Some, which is a wonderful film which premiered uh, in Cannes in May by Charlotte Wells, in which he plays um, a Scottish father um, who holidaying with his daughter in the late 1990s. And to be honest, as recently as sort of three or four months ago, when I talked to Paul Mescal for opening of Arts, and we weren't really discussing the possibility of an Oscar. Um, Why? Because it was a small film? Why? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it was a, essentially it was a small film. Uh, it had got very good reviews. Um, uh, it was never going to do enormous box office. But I think what happened then was, well, two things. Firstly, it's a sort of Oscar strategy thing. And then there was the fact simply that Aftersun built up such an extraordinary, uh, just, had such an extraordinary performance in end-of-year assessments. It was like named the best film of the year by Sight and Sound, by The Guardian, it figured on our own poll. Um, uh, here, a critics poll here in the Irish Times, and that helped it a great deal. And also, there's just you got to the stage a few weeks beforehand where people looked at the five there were potential nominees for best actor, and four seemed more or less nailed down. Um, it looked as if um, Colin Farrell, for example, was going to be in comfortably. Brendan Fraser was going to be in. Bill Nye was going to be in for a living, and there's one space kind of like floating around. Mm. So is that seemed, not going to be Tom Cruise's seemed, space? Uh, quite so. I mean, mm. I think it's a fascinating position to, to demonstrate how far apart Paul Mescal has come in a few short years, maybe a few four sh- short months, you could argue, that all the Oscar prognosticators, of which there are many, on the internet and basically got it down to that last five, the final five spot was between uh, Paul Mescal and um, Tom Cruise. Maybe Adam Sandler might have snuck in for Hustle, who did well at the Screen Actors Guild. And lo and behold, there he was. Paul Mescal in After Sun. 
good results as well in uh, Richie Bainham, who's who often gets overlooked in these conversations. And with he is Irish such Oscar a star. Winners. He really is. I mean, he is uh, he is the nominated for visual effects um, for Avatar: The Way of Water. And I was talking uh, to the producer of Avatar: Way of Water a few months ago, uh, John Landau, and he, I mean, he brought him up and said he is one of the absolutely essential men in the Avatar team, and they've been off in New Zealand doing making this film for years and years and years. Um, already an Oscar winner, he won for the first Avatar film, uh, Richie from Tala. And Jonathan Redmond um, from Sandy Cove, I believe, who is a regular editor for um, Baz Luhrmann, who's been nominated for Elvis. And of course, getting last and certainly by no means least, um, there's the success of I'm Colin Kewen, um, uh in Best International Film. The nominations are out. What does a campaign look like now? What happens now, I mean, for this is not necessarily a concern for I'm Colin Kuhn, but what happens now is more awards. Right. I mean, we have like this long run in where um, the films will play at the Screen Actors Guild if they're lucky enough to be nominated there. They'll play, it, they, will, they will turn up at BAFTA if they're lucky enough to be nominated there. And all those things will contribute. What they do, what you do get as well, um, of course, you, you are now part of the Academy machine. So there's an Academy brunch where they all gather together, which, which generates this photograph, which is always a great delight whenever there are Irish nominees in there. You can kind of peer in there and see, you know, Lenny Abrahamson or Colin Farrell or whoever it may be standing amongst the um, the great and the good on that. Those things are a very important part of it. There are particular events, for example, the Oscar Wilde Irish on film um Jamboree, which happens in the last week, is something they'll be turning up at that as well. And campaigning, they will know in, in Colin Cullen they, they have a difficult job ahead of them, mind you, in this case, because they are up against one film, um, uh, the new version of All Quiet in the Western Front, which is the second most nominated film in the list. So that's clearly going to be an enormous favourite uh, as far as international film goes. Um, but, you know, every step this film has encountered on its journey to this point is overcome, so you wouldn't rule it out. But it, a film like Colin Kuhn has has no hope in terms of the amount of money that some, that that the studios put behind some movies. Like, you know, Roma, famously, the publicity campaign cost something like $25 million <laughs> and Warner Brothers stumped up, you know, $20 million for A Star Is Born. Like, these are huge amounts of money. Now, presumably the Banshees will have like a chunk of change behind it? Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, the Banshees, I mean, keep in mind the Banshees is a, uh, uh, it may be an Irish film. It's, it's film for or, or one of those um, one of the one of the financiers, but it's a Searchlight film. Um, the company that was Fox Searchlight until it was engulfed by Walt Disney um, a few years ago, and Searchlight have an incredible record. Um, I th- think they've got something like nineteen nominations. I think five wins in Best Picture, if I remember correctly. So they know what they're doing. I mean, when they were Fox Searchlight before they become, and even now as Searchlight, they are an operation that is very well used to this procedure. Um, so they had that behind them, and they will know exactly what they're doing. And do you subscribe to the theory that um, in the 90s, particularly that Harvey Weinstein changed the way campaigns for films, especially Oscar campaigns worked? Oh, definitely. So what did he do? Well, I mean, the whole thing got a lot more aggressive, frankly, you know, at that stage. I mean, one doesn't know quite what to believe um, as far as these things go. But, I mean, he, there was suddenly, I mean, My Left Foot was one of his first films, it should be, should be noticed. And from there on, there was an, an attitude that this was like a sport. Um, it was a contact sport, which, you know, anything was anything went. I mean, there were kind of talks about, you know, that on a soft level, you had Q 
Q&As, you had interviews with celebrities, and your celebrities were persuaded to recommend films. On the other hand, there was a great deal of kind of aggression in terms of pushing your films. But how open to celebrity influence are members of the Academy? One nomination that's raised eyebrows this year was Andrea Riseborough for Best Actress in the Indie Film To Leslie, a film that few had heard about until recently. A month ago, nobody was talking about To Leslie. Less than that. Three weeks ago, no one was talking about To Leslie. Um, It made $27,000 on its US release. I mean, Colin Coons made, you know, well over a million um, at this stage. Um, and, uh, you know, Avatar, The Way of Water, which is um, nominated for Best Picture, has made well over two billion. And so no one was talking about to Leslie at all. And then about just as we we're getting to the stage when the final voting was taking place on the nominations, a number of celebrities um, popped up to recommend it. Um, Ed Norton was there, Jane Fonda were there. Now, it's the point I want to make about this is that Riseborough is in an interesting position. She's one of those she's a terrific actress um, and one of those act- actresses that is constantly mentioned as, you know, the best actress you've never heard of, the m- uh, the most underrated actress of her generation, somebody who will eventually get an Oscar. So I think, I mean, it's true to say that the director of the film, um, uh, his wife, Mary McCormick, is very much involved in the Hollywood world and it has been suggested that she was the person who encouraged these people to get onto Twitter and go into places and recommend her. On the other hand, it's a really good performance. If And the complaints about this are kind of hard to, quite, are hard to parse. A lot of people encountering those complaints have said, look, if this film had been a searchlight film, for example, we're talking about searchlight earlier on, who are amongst the most um, effective um, Oscar campaigners, and it had that amount of money behind it, and it got proper distribution, and people had seen it, then it seems likely that it would have got nomination anyway. Um, so there's nothing more inherently dishonest. It just seems a lot of really famous people. Are, yeah, there's yeah. nothing more inherently dishonest than okay. that than there is, and the Oscar campaign we've been talking about already. Uh, and but I think people were I think some of the Oscar punters were a bit put out um, because even after that campaign, no one really saw this coming. There is you know an Oscar consultants community. There's a community for everything these days. But in wherever the Oscar Oscar consultants drink in the, as part of their community, they're going to be chewing that over furiously. I think that it's definitely going to change how they approach their job. But that that that, that can work. That a relatively small campaign all staged within four or five days. I mean, no one had heard of this campaign, if we can call it a campaign, um, was was there and gone in four or five days, and then the nomination was secured. Um, How you can integrate that into a massive machine like one of the Disney companies or Warner's or whoever is another question. It's, you know, it, I mean, part of the success of this is, in, it, however organic it may or may not be, is it looks organic. I think that was part of the success of that. So you didn't uh, predict Andrea Riseborough, but actually your your strike rate for predicting the nominations was really good this year, Donald. But <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you, how do you think our 14 nominations are going to do? You're going to have to put yourself on the line here now. Well, um, Colin Farrell has a decent chance. Um, he is essentially one of the three actors in a three-horse race, um, I would say. Brendan Fraser, who is playing in a controversial film, playing a morbidly obese man in The Whale, um, was the early front runner, but a lot of people don't like that film. And a lot of unease about its representation of... The fat of, suit, uh, all exactly, that kind of thing. representation okay. of, 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 of obese people, which are people uncomfortable about. Um, Dennis Austin Butler in Elvis. I mean, Farrell has, has the narrative. 
He's someone people liked. And he's been in Hollywood for a long he'd time. Been a long time. He had certain kind of issues, certain problems about 20 years ago, which he got over. And not only that, but he has managed, he's done a brilliant job, I've written about this in the paper, of selecting the right directors. And so he now has a, a, a splendid CV over the last 20 years of working with you know, Terence Malick and, you know, all the best directors you, you could think of. Um, and people people like him. And getting back to the notion of campaigning, uh, I talked to um, Colin and uh, um, and Brendan Gleeson in Venice when the film opened. Colin in particular has been very good at, um, at the podium, as it were. His usual charming and articulate self. So the three, three horse race there, not out of the question he could get in. Um, I think probably... Um, for uh, best supporting actor then? I think that's going to go for to, to um, uh, because we have Barry Keoghan and Brendan Gleeson. You see, I say we have. You see, we're all so invested in this now. Again, those are the, it's, uh, what I think we, what one loves about that is that um, is that you have three generations of Dublin actors in Gleeson, uh, Farrell, uh, and and Barry Keoghan. It's great to have that, but I think they are doomed oh. in this race. Um, Kehu Kwan from Everything, Every, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, who was the juvenile lead, a juvenile actor in um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom um, forty years ago. Um, he seems to have sewn up. I, I mentioned earlier on that it's important of a narrative in the award season, he has the narrative, as does Brendan Fraser, actually, in that sense, because, you know, Fraser was kind of, ex- was uh, went through a very a long, slow patch in the last 10 or 20 years, and this is a comeback for him. Uh, but, okay, I mean, he has spoken, uh, Kwan, about the fact that he has had struggled to find work, and now he's in this big, big hit film, and that narrative, I think, will keep him safe. So okay. in Best Supporting Actress, we have Kerry Condon. I think maybe that was that a little bit of a surprise nomination? No, I, I think all four seem safe. Uh, all four all four actors. Uh, it's, it's actually not that unusual to have four actors in the same film. It's happened kind of, you know, quite a lot of times, and 15 times or so forth over the last 100 years. Um, but uh, no, they, they basically, they, they more or less were landed everywhere. I mean, they landed in the Golden Globes, they landed at BAFTA, they landed at the Screen Actress Guild, all four of them. So no, uh, I think um, they were all, they all looked pretty safe. It would have been very disappointing if one of those um, had not landed. Um, that looks, again, like a bit of a struggle. Um, a few weeks ago, you'd have said, I mean, she, hasn't, she certainly has a chance, but a few weeks ago, you would have said that was a very open category. Now, I think Angela Bassett looks to be in a strong position to win for for uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, where she plays the late uh, title character's mother. Um, that, again, is a good narrative. Uh, never won. Only once nominated, I think, for What's Love Got to Do With It, um, what, 30 years ago, I guess that must be. Uh, greatly liked. And although it's not, that film doesn't offer the greatest strain to an actor, she is very good in it. That would also be the first ever win for a, an actor in a Marvel film, and she's the first nominee in a Marvel film, actually. And then moving on to uh, Martin McDonough, who uh, he's been nominated for the Best Original Screenplay. The movie has also been nominated for Best Picture, Best Editing, Best Original Score. So because it's been nominated in all those areas, does that mean it's kind of it's it's looking likely? Well, it's interesting that, that, that uh, there was a time when the most nominations was the most important thing in working out what's going to win Best Picture. Now, this time around, that would suggest to you that um, 
uh, that it's going to be everything everywhere, everything everywhere all at once. Was it a, was it a shorter title that film? I know. Everything everywhere all at I once. I think you just say everything everywhere and yeah. be done with this. Everything. <laughs> everything looks like a strong favourite because uh, it, it's topped the list with um, 11 nominations. But actually, the last film to win with the most nominations was Shape of Water five years ago. So it's actually not that common. Last year, Coda had only three, um, which is extraordinary. So we shouldn't be too much into the number of nominations um, that it has. Do you think On Colin Kuhn has a chance? Well, I say this with a heavy heart. It's such a fabulous movie. Um, that, that particular competition was stacked. Um, and it's still stacked, obviously. It was stacked when there were 15 films. There were 10 or 12 there um, uh, that could do it. Um, it's going to be tricky. But I would say, again, that one of the fascinating things about Uncalling Cuban is that every barrier that it has encountered over the last 12 months, it has hurdled. One thing it did demonstrate the international film competition is the degree to which the old festivals still really matter. I mean, of the 15 films that were on the shortlist for international film, 13 of them, all but two, premiered at Cannes, Venice, or Berlin. Uh, nine of them at Cannes alone. You know, Coda last year premiered at Sundance. So those festivals do still matter. Lastly, when will we know? When are the Oscars this year? Uh, March the 12th. Uh, uh, that's a Sunday in the, in the Dolby Theatre in Hollywood and Highland. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel is presenting, and obviously they have an interesting year this year after what happened last year. Um, uh, they're we're recovering from the embarrassment of the whole Will Smith incident and hoping that it was a lot, lot more smoothly than last year. And they will be also thinking a bit about the fact that, I mean, figures haven't been great. Um, TV viewing. Because, yeah. yeah. TV viewing figures haven't been great. And even before the whole COVID um, business, obviously that was a disaster that year for viewing figures. They went up last year, but they're still way below what they used to be. Now, the theory was that you got a good year when you had films that people had seen in numbers. So I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think the biggest, I mean, certainly the 1997 the year of Titanic was enormous for the Oscars. I'm not sure it's the biggest ever, but it was enormous, for example. This year, you've got Top Gun, Maverick, and Avatar um, in the Best Picture nomination, which are the which Avatar is the highest grossing film released in 2022, still playing. Uh, Top Gun is the second highest grossing film released in 2022. So if that theory holds any water, if people will watch when you've got popular films, then this should be the great, the most watched Oscars ever. It won't be. But we're interested to see if the figures do improve significantly. Donald, thanks for coming into studio today. Thank you, it's lovely to be here. For more Irish Times journalism, including film reviews from Donald Clark, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. That's all for this week. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Declan Conlon. I'm Bernice Harrison. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.